So let me kind of tell you how this happened. So we've got this big meeting today on our plate. I was thinking about that. Obviously, we had a big meeting last Sunday with the leadership team. We had one with the building facilities committee uh, before that. But Monday morning, I went into a, uh, a church planning workshop. It was a couple hours at the association office. Fantastic. And, and one of the things that Brian Bowman, the guy who was teaching it, challenged us as pastors. He says, when your people join, when they join Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church, when they come on Sunday morning, when they go to a small group, when they sign up to help a team kids, when, when they participate with you as a church, are they clear? Are they clear? Is it clear in their minds? What are we trying to accomplish? Like, what are we trying to do? How, one way to answer that is, how are we going to know if we were a success? How are we going to know if we accomplished, if we did what we're supposed to do? And so I was thinking about that in my mind. I said, you know, what? I try to preach the Bible. I try to be real clear about that. But I probably don't come back very often and kind of try to summarize. Hey, guys, here's what we're doing. Okay, so that happened on Monday. So I began to think about that, make some notes about that. Tuesday morning, I went to one of my Bible studies early in the morning, McDonald's. And, uh, um, man, good friend of mine, Gary Bates, was there. And, uh, man, I love Gary. He's already on the mission of God and baptized a couple weeks ago. And, man, just really in the Word and so encouraged about him. And so we were visiting, and, and, and I, you know, I said, hey, Gary, did you go to a small group? And he said, yeah, I tried one out. He said, I tried one out. Well, so how was it and everything? And so he starts telling me the story, and he said, he said, well, it was great, you know. He said, but we really didn't know what to expect. You know, he said, I, I told my wife on the way over, I wonder what we do with these things, you know. He, he said, maybe we just play cornhole. And, and, and I thought about that because I was actually at a social event this summer at one of our small group leaders with Gary. Gary happened to be there and his wife. And what did we do? We played cornhole, which is great, okay? I mean, that is one of the things we want to do at those small groups is, is build those relational ties, all right? That, 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 that's a cool thing. You really learn things about people. You know what I learned this summer playing cornhole with, with one of the small groups? I learned that Ryan Clem says he's really busy. Like, anytime you talk to him, he's like, oh, I got to do this, you know, and get got kids and everything. Listen, the dude has more free time than he says he does because I've never seen anybody as good at cornhole as him, all right? I, I mean, like professional, like put a, put a spot on the deal and he's like, I'll put it there, you know. He like spins it, you know, and it, bam, you know. I mean, I'm just like trying to hit the box, you know. And it, so anyway, you learn things about people, but, but, but it's not a bad thing to go do this, right? But, but the bigger question is, is that what we're trying to accomplish, you know, do we go to small groups so we can be big at corn? No, no, that's not where we go. That's obviously not the purpose. You know, the bigger question is, what should we be doing? What should we, how are we going to know if we were a success in our small group? What about worship? What are we doing here today? What are we doing? Are we just putting in our time? What are we trying to accomplish? How are we going to know if we did it? What about on Team Kid on Wednesday night or youth on Wednesday night or, 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 or accountability groups or mission trips? Or what about what does it mean to be the church? You see, if we're confused about that, if we don't have a clear picture in our mind, what, am I, what are we trying to accomplish as the church of Jesus Christ? Then we're never going to be a very effective at that. I love watching little kids play ball, especially t-ball, you know, the coach pitch, those first years, you know, and, and it happens every time, every, every game you go to, that, that age group, what happens is some kid signed up to play ball, he's got a jersey, he's got a hat, he's, he, he, his dad's been practicing with him, had a bat, had a catch, he's got some of the fundamentals, but he doesn't understand the game. Like in his mind, it's not really clear 
what exactly are we trying to do? You know, I mean, how, what, what, are we, what are we trying to do? And you know that that's the case because when he's in left field and the ball gets hit and it's coming to him and he remembers how his dad taught him to catch and, he, and it's a grounder and he comes and he gets in front of it and he grabs the ball and he caught it just like his dad told him and then he's got no idea what do I do with it now, you know? And everybody's screaming at him. You know, I mean, that's all he knows is that everybody's screaming and he can't differentiate the voices and everybody's yelling and he looks over at the crowd and people are angry and he's like frozen, you know, because he doesn't understand the game. Like he doesn't understand what is the objective. What are we on the defensive side of the baseball field? What are we trying to do? And so you know what the coach does during the, the, the dugout time, right? When they switch, the coach does something that is okay, but it's really not very effective. And, but I think it happens in churches, okay? Here's what, here's what the coach says. He's like, he grabs the little guy and he says, look, if that ever happens again, you throw it to the shortstop. You throw it to the shortstop. You, and he gets the shortstop. Do you see this guy? You know, you know what he looks like? Do you know where he plays? If you ever get the ball again, you throw it to the shortstop. All right, now, in general, that's a good practice for the left fielder. If you get the ball, throw it in the shortstop. Does he understand the game yet? He still doesn't understand the game. Now, he knows when he gets the ball, man, get rid of it or the parents will scream at you, you know. He knows, throw it to the shortstop. He, he's clear about that, but he's still not clear about what the objective of the game is. Okay, so here's what I think. I think you have people in church that... that that are not totally clear on what exactly are we doing here. You know, and they know, they know something. They've been taught something. You know, hey, we know we need to read our Bible. We know we need to know our Bible. Right? Hey, amen, right? We, we know we need to worship. We need to gather in times of worship. We need to attend services. That's great. But you know what will happen if they never get beyond that? They'll read their Bible during the week, and they'll attend this service. And what will they say? I guess mission accomplished. Right? I mean, I guess, I guess I've done it. I guess that's what we were supposed to do. And, and so we accomplished the thing that we were supposed to do. Okay, but the, that's, not, that's not the mission of the church of Jesus Christ, is it? Folks, we've got to be clear about our objective, about our mission. Pastor Daniel and I were in uh, 27 hours of government training this week. So if I, if I seem a little off, if I, if I have a tick or something like that, that's what that's from. Um, we, we were in three days of, of that training, and it, it was interesting um, how, how he and I, to some degree, had a different perspective from the other people. They were from all over the state of Oklahoma, some from Kansas. They were in that training. And uh, let me give you a couple examples. Um, the question is, was asked of Pastor Daniel, what, what, are some healthy, um, what are some healthy signs of a good family? I think, no, what are some signs of a healthy family? That's what it was. And, and the man, the, Daniel's first one was a sense of legacy. You know, and, and the guy's like, he, he was one of those trainers that he affirms everybody. Like, you could give the wrong answer, and he'd be like, that's a good job. We'll try to work that around, you know. But he, he like, didn't even know what to say about that. You know, and he's like, what do you mean by that, you know? And so Daniel kind of unpacked it. You know, he wants to build in his family this sense of this is who we are. This is, this, this is the kind of people we are. These are the kind of people that we do. The, the question was asked of me. Uh, the question was asked, what do you do to prepare your family to, to receive a, a, a child into your care? And, and, and my first thing was, well, man, we, we gathered and we talked about our mission. And again, he's like, 
What do you mean by that? You know? And I said, well, man, our family, we have a, we have a mission. Like, we're, we're this kind of people, and we do these kind of things. And, you know, I gave him some examples that, you know, that my, my kids understand. This is why we do things. This is why we pick Brazilians up on the interstate when we're on vacation and, and spend two hours taking them to Miami Airport and share Jesus. This is why we do this, because we, we are these people that have this kind of mission. Okay, because when you have a mission, when you have a clear objective, when you have a clear vision of what you're to be about, first of all, it really helps you make decisions about your family. You know, I think of a lot of families don't have a vision for your family. Here's what I think. I think a lot of families, the vision for their family is we got to make it through this next week. You know, I mean, that's, that's the vision. Like, all right, we got to get everybody where they're supposed to be. They're committed to be, and, 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 and nobody dies, right? Success, all right? Uh, that, that, that's, a, that's a shallow vision. And, and so we, we're asking ourselves today, what are we aiming at as a church? What, what are we doing? What are we supposed to be doing? How are we going to know if we did it? Now notice the way I phrase that question, okay? There's a bunch of America who doesn't ask that question. They ask a different question. Here's the question a lot of America ask. What is the church going to do for me? True? Huh? That's... See, that, that's, that's actually the wrong question. All right? I, I hope you didn't come here with that question. Not that we don't want to minister to you. Not that we don't want to care for you. I mean, did you see the donuts we provided? I mean, obviously, we want to care for you if you're a visitor here today. You know, we want you to feel welcome. We, we, want, to, you know, we, we want you to be with us. Okay, so that, not saying that. But here's what I'm saying. It's the wrong question to ask, what's the church going to do for me? Okay, the reason that's the wrong question is because that puts us in a consumer mindset. All right, now let me tell you why we should not have a consumer mindset, okay? Here it is. God has created you and breathed into your nostrils the breath of life. God sustains you. Colossians 1 says he sustains you moment by moment. You got to live the last minute because God said it was okay, all right? God has held back his wrath. We learned this in the last two weeks in Romans. God has held back his wrath, exercising phenomenal patience and forbearance and kindness with you in not sending you to hell already for your sins. God has loved you even in your sins. The Holy Spirit has opened your eyes, if you're a Christian here today, to see his glory. Jesus has lived the life that you could not live and then died a substitutionary death on your behalf, in your behalf, to take away your sin, your guilt, your failure, your death. Then Jesus rose from the dead, defeating sin, death, and the grave. And if you're joined to Jesus, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, you are seated in the heavenly places. You have an imperishable, unfading, undefiled inheritance waiting for you. Jesus Christ has put his spirit inside of you and equipped you and gifted you to accomplish his will on the earth by placing you in a body of believers called the church. Now, after all of that, honestly, after all of that, if your heart and mindset this morning is, what's the church going to do for me? I think you missed it. Right? You see what I'm saying? That's like the, uh, the orphan in Calcutta, you know, who's living in the garbage dump. And the helicopter comes in and lands in the dump. And, and a wealthy father comes out of the helicopter, scoops up the orphan, brings him in the helicopter, takes him to his estate. 
gives the child all that he needs, adopts the child into his own family, makes the child a son, an heir to all that he has, to all the land, all the business, all the wealth. Then the father is available every hour of every day to meet every need of the sons. He spends time teaching and nurturing and loving the boy, meeting his every need, training him. The boy gets the finest training and education possible. And then the father teaches him business and life skill and sets him up for life. If that young man's response is, What's my father going to do for me? He's missed it. Like, like, here's what I'm just saying. I'm saying we should not be in a posture of lack. I'm not saying we should try to pay God back. How are you going to do that, by the way? How are you going to pay him back? You don't have enough. You don't have enough money. Don't try, okay? And that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying is we don't, we don't come here as the church in this posture of, you know, God's never done anything for me. Man, if you're a believer, you come here blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You come here having riches upon riches of God's grace dumped into your lap, spreading out all into eternity. We come here in a position and a posture of fullness, considering, okay, good Father, how do you want to use me? You've done so much. What do you want me to do? And that's where... A vision statement comes in handy. Okay, how can we summarize what does God want us to do as a church? Let me give you some bad vision statements. Okay, these are not good ones. Okay, sometimes a bad illustration helps you understand a good one. So, so what's a bad mission statement? Okay, here's a bad mission statement. All right, what are we trying to do? We're trying to get lots of people to come to our event. Okay, that's that's not our vision statement, guys. That, that's 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 too small. How about this one? We're trying to get enough offering to pay the bills. You know. That's, that's not a good vision statement. How about this one? We're, we're trying to attend a service that makes us feel that we did our part for the week so we can kind of check God off of our list. How about this one? To see our friends. Okay, now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those. Well, the third one there probably is something wrong with. But most of those, is it wrong to want lots of people to come to a gospel event? No. I, ho- I hope you invited people today. Is it wrong to want to... Take up offering to, to fund, you know, we're, we're on, the, on the back edge of funding 20 new churches in India, 20 new church buildings in India. Is it bad for us to want to raise money to, to fund those churches, to pay bills, to, to put on events that are gospel-centered? No, it's not wrong. Is it wrong to want to see your friends in Christ? Absolutely not. But none of those things, none of those things are the, the vision of the church, Right? Just like it's not wrong for the left fielder to throw the ball to the shortstop. Nothing wrong with that. But if that's all you do is play catch with the shortstop, you're never going to win a ball game. Like that's, that's not the purpose of baseball. And so what is our vision as a church? Well, for the last five or ten years, we've expressed it in this way. We are about Christ-centered lives, Christ-centered relationships, and Christ-centered missions. Okay, Christ-centered lives, Christ-centered relationships, Christ-centered missions. Now, uh, that's, that's a good vision statement, I think. I, I, I think we're still on track with that's what we want to be about. What I would like to do this morning is, is give it to you in a sentence, okay? I started thinking maybe there's a need every 5, 10, 15 years to kind of restate what, what you're about, maybe in a fresh way, maybe that will hook you, okay? So, Andrew, if you'd put that up or whoever's running ProPresenter, there we go, okay? Here's what I would like to pitch to you this morning, okay? Ready? Would you read this with me? Let's do this. Ready? Follow Jesus together. For the mission of the gospel to the world. Okay? So can you see how that lines up with Christ in our lives? What's that? That's follow Jesus, that top line. Okay? Christ in our relationships. What's that? Well, that's together. 
okay? Christ-centered missions, what's that? Well, that's for the mission of the gospel of the world. So basically, instead of three statements, here's what we have as a sentence, okay? So read it with me again, ready? Follow Jesus together for the mission of the gospel to the world. Now, what I would like to do in the time that I have left this morning is I would like to unpack this, okay, statement by statement. And I want to show you what I believe, and it's my conviction from the scriptures, that this is what God is calling Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church to accomplish. This is what we want to do, okay? This is what we want to, we want to be. We want to be this, okay? So number one, we want to follow Jesus, Okay, my unofficial count this morning is that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus says 25 times to people, you need to follow me. Okay, 25 times in the four Gospels, he says, you need to follow me. Now, there are some essentials that need to take place if we're going to follow Jesus. Okay, if, if you're going to follow Jesus, you got to see him, know him, and hear him. Okay, you can't follow somebody you don't see, know, or hear. We went to Florida this uh, past summer, and uh, we spent a week or so with Emma's mother and um, had a fun time. Uh, one of the things, though, is whenever we went places, she never wanted to ride with me. I don't, I don't know why. She wanted to take her own car, and she wanted me to follow her, okay? Now, that would not seem to be a problem. She's a, I think, 76-year-old lady. Don't tell her I told you that she said that or that I told you how old she is. Um, I think she's a 76-year-old lady. You'd think that would be an easy task. It is not an easy task to follow my mother-in-law, okay? I was really raised to be easy on machinery. That's the way my dad raised me, easy on vehicles. Whenever I grind the clutch in the, in the truck, my dad would scold me severely. You didn't grind the clutch. You know, you, you, you took off, you know, gently. You, you, you stopped, you know, gently. Uh, those are things that my dad taught me well. You can't follow my mother-in-law that way, okay? Uh, at 76 years old, she's to the floor and all the way to the break. You know, I mean, that's, that's the way she drives. And, and by the way, she has on average about five vehicles to my one, okay? So just, just pointing that out. Uh, since we've been there, her vehicle got tried, and she's got a new one. So anyway, uh, I'm not saying my way's better, but I am saying my way's better. So, but that's the way she drives in the city, right? And so, I mean... We lost her one time. Like, like she, you know, we're coming, we're trying to follow her through city traffic. She sees a, a, a yellow light, man, 76-year-old lady. You know, there she goes, you know. And it's like, hey, Mary Alice, I can't follow you if I don't know where you're at. If I don't see you, I can't follow you, okay? In the same way, you can't follow Jesus unless you see him, unless you know him, unless you hear him. What are we doing today? Hopefully, we're looking in this Bible, okay? That's, that's what you get in this Bible. Hopefully we're looking in this Bible and we want to see Jesus. We want to see his character. We want to see who he is. We want to see what he's done. We want to hear him. We want to hear from him. We want the Holy Spirit to speak to us, okay? That, that's part of what it means to be the church is we're trying to follow Jesus. And the way you follow Jesus is by seeing who he is. Here's what Paul said. And Paul said this toward the end of his life, okay? He, he, he kind of gives his mission statement in Philippians 3.10. He says that I may know him that I may know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I mean, Paul's been following Jesus for decades. He's been playing churches all over the known world. He's in jail right now as he writes this. And here's what Paul says about himself. Man, I got a passion to know him. Guys, we want you to know Jesus. Why do we have Bible studies? Why in the world do we, if you go to McDonald's in early morning, you're going to see a bunch of Lincoln guys, most likely, sitting down reading chapters of the Bible every week. Chapters of the Bible, chapters of the Bible, chapters of the Bible. Why are we doing that? Because we want to see Jesus. I want to see his character. I want to see who he is. I want to see his, his, his greatness, his glory. Okay, if you're going to follow him, you've got to see him. 
2 Corinthians 3.18 is a special verse to Lincoln Avenue. We talk about it a lot. It's kind of the progression of growth. Here's how we grow. Here's how we're changed. Here's how our character has changed as believers. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this. And we all with unveiled face. We don't, we don't have a veil in front of our face. We behold. That's to see. Beholding the glory of the Lord. And we're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Do you see what that verse is saying? The more you see his glory, the more you're changed. And so part of what we're doing here as a church is we want you to see Jesus. We want you to see who he is. We want you to see his character. Jesus said in John 10, 27, my sheep, that's his people, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. And what? They follow me. You see that? They hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. This is why we're committed to the word of God as a church. This is why we want you to be in the scriptures. We want you to see Jesus. Anytime we open up the Bible, anytime we offer Bible studies, why are these ladies having five weeks out to study the Bible? Because ladies, you, you can't be the woman, the mother, the wife that God's called you to be unless you see Jesus. If you're seeing him on a regular basis, if you're soaking up his character, then you, then you can follow him. So, so what does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, it means we see him. Okay, so we're committed to seeking out Jesus, wanting to see him, know him, hear him, okay? And then when we see him, know him, hear him, we want to we believe him, okay? We want to believe what we see, hear, and know, okay? That's the second part of that. There's this great uh, section in, in Matthew, this story about the centurion. Okay, there's, there's only a couple times in the Bible that said Jesus is impressed with anybody. He marvels at somebody. This is one of those times, okay? Let me read you the story. It's in Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 5. It says, When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I'll come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. Only say the word. You hear that? Only say the word, and my servant will be healed. I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I say go and he goes. I said another, come. He comes to my servant. Do this. He does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled. He goes on to say, man, I've, I've not seen such faith even in Israel. You know, why, why is Jesus impressed with that guy? Because here's the deal. If Jesus said it, the guy was like, okay, that's it. I believe. It's done. I'm resting upon that. I'm leaning upon that. I'm depending upon that. Jesus, whatever you say, man, if you said it, I'm in. I'm all in. I'm going to depend upon that. I'm going to trust in it. I'm going to lean upon it. I'm going to base my life upon it. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It means we, we want to see who he is. What's he done? What's his character? And then when we, when we see that, when we know it, then we, we lean upon it. We base our, our, our life upon it. Psalm 910 says this, And those who know your name, in the Bible your name is your character. It's who you are. It's your attributes. Okay. And so Psalm 910 says, Those who know your name put their trust in you. Those who know your name put their trust in you. Jesus says that his righteous life and his sacrificial death are sufficient to pay for your sins. Jesus says that he is merciful. He will accept you today. Do you believe that? You see, if you do, then you know what you're going to do? You're going to rest your life upon it. 
You're, you're going you're gonna to climb on that, and you're going to rest all your weight, all your life, all your hope upon what Jesus has said. You say, all right, Jesus said he died for me, that his death is sufficient to pay for my sins. Jesus said that his life is sufficient to, if I'm joined to it, I've got life forevermore. Jesus said he put his Holy Spirit in me. If you believe that, you're going to rest your life upon it. Jesus said that you should forgive those who sin against you. He said that over and over again. He said that's the path to blessing. Now, folks, if you believe that, what are you going to do? You're going to rest your life upon it. You're going to forgive people. In Ephesians 5, Jesus said when a man loves his wife, he's loving himself. A man's, a man's model for loving his wife is Jesus in the church. If you believe that, you're going to rest your life upon it. Okay, and so what does it mean to follow Jesus? It means seeing him, knowing who he is, and then believing, trusting. Yes, I, I, can, I can depend on that. And then finally, it's acting in obedience. James 2 says, faith without works is, is useless. It's dead. Why? Well, the reason is you don't really believe it if you don't respond. If you, if you don't rest your life on it and there's a visible action that responds from it, then you, you don't really believe it. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said this about two different guys. Everyone who, who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, he'll be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and the house fell. So, what are we about at Lincoln Avenue? What do we want you to do? We want you to follow Jesus, okay? How are you going to know if you're following Jesus? Well, you got to look for some markers, okay? If you've seen, if you've seen him, if you've seen what he's done, if, you, if you've heard him, if you know that he died for your sins, that he rose from the grave, that he's offered you salvation, then let me just ask you this. Are you born again? Have you placed your faith in him? Have you been baptized? You know, have you visibly declared, I have seen and believed the work of Jesus Christ on my behalf, and therefore I am identifying with him in baptism? Are you growing in sanctification more and more? Are you seeing and believing and responding in obedience? That ought to happen all through your Christian life. You see more, you believe more, you respond more. You see more, you believe more, you respond more. That's what it means to follow Jesus. All right. In an attempt that you not feel like we were just everywhere this morning and, and you don't remember any kind of passage of Scripture to hang today on, I, I want you to turn to Romans 1. Okay, I should have probably just had you turn there to begin with. We, we've already been through this, which is one of the reasons I want you to turn here. I feel like I, hopefully I won't have to explain a whole bunch. But what I want you to see in this is that there are places in the Scripture that you find all these things. Okay, Drew, would you put that back up? So I, I think there are places in the Scriptures that you find... Paul, other writers expressing, hey, this is what we're about, okay? And I think Romans 1 is one of these places where Paul is expressing, hey, this, this is what we're about. So, real quickly, Romans 1, Paul says, I'm set apart for the gospel. That's verse 1, okay? Verses 2, 3, and 4, he says, the gospel's all about Jesus, okay? He ends in verse 4 saying, man, the resurrection of the, from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, and then in verse 5, Paul says, here's what I'm trying to do. Here's what I'm trying to do. Okay, verse 5, let me read it to you. Through whom we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. The obedience of faith. What, what does that mean? The obedience of faith. Faith in who? Can we figure that out? 
Who, who did he just say? Jesus Christ our Lord, right? So faith in Jesus Christ our Lord results in obedience, right? Paul says, what am I trying to do as an apostle? I'm trying to bring about the obedience of faith, okay? So hang your hat on that. Romans 1, what's Paul saying? I'm set apart to help people follow Jesus, to help people have the obedience of faith. Okay, now let's go to the next one, okay? So we're going to follow Jesus, and then the next phrase there is together, okay? We're going to follow Jesus together. This is Christ-centered relationships. You've heard me talk about Christ-centered relationships forever, okay? We're just summarizing it up in in one word here. We're going to follow him together. We're going to do this together. I like the word together um, for this reason. Relationships are held by common loves and common commitments. There was, there was a whole bunch of guys, a whole bunch of people at the training that Daniel and I were at the last couple of days. And it was interesting to me when we went and did the, uh, you know, nobody knows anybody, nobody has any kind of relationships. But when we did the, the kind of who are you, they ask you questions, what's your favorite vacation, what do you like to do, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, these two guys mentioned shooting guns. So, so one guy over here says, I like to shoot. When he gets around the other side, the other guy's like, I like to shoot. Every break, every break, where are those two guys? They're talking about shooting, okay? They never, never met each other, probably never spent any time with each other again, but they're, they're forged together, right? I talked about, I love to mountain bike, you know? So break time comes, nobody, nobody, not, I mean, not, not one person, you know? I didn't say the right thing, you know, so there, nobody felt, oh, man, hey, he likes mountain bike. Everybody's like, biking, what the, you know, I'm not going to do that. You have more in common, okay? So we all have common loves. Some of you are OU people, some of you are OSU people, you know, some of you whatever. Okay, we all have these common things that draw us together. But let, let, let me explain this in this way. You can have a 25-year-old tattooed motorcycle riding oil field mechanic who's a believer. And that guy has more in common with the 80-year-old widow who quilts and watches Wheel of Fortune on a recliner with her little poodle than that guy does with other tattooed motorcycle riding oil field mechanics who don't know Jesus. Does that make sense? I mean, for real. You have so much more that you share. So much more that you love together. So much more that you are committed to. All that other stuff is shallow, surfacey stuff. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 4. Are you ready? He says this in verse 3. Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And then in verse 4 he says, there is one body. Okay? One body. One body of Christ. Alright? So if you're a believer, you're connected with other believers and you make up together one body. When one Spirit, one Holy Spirit, just as you are called to the hope uh, uh, that, that belongs to your call. Verse 5, one Lord. There's only one Lord. One faith. One baptism. One God. Verse 6, and Father over all, who's over all and through all and in all. I mean, what Paul is saying is if you're a believer, you are joined in this commonality, this common faith with other believers. It's interesting to me when you open up the book of Acts. All right, so the book of Acts is the beginning of the church, right? So Jesus dies, he, he's resurrected, he, 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 ascend, he, he visits with his, his disciples, and then he ascends into heaven. All that happens in the first couple chapters of Acts. And so what do you find this brand new church, this brand new body of believers, what do you find them doing? Let me read you some verses. Acts 1, verse 6. So when they had come together, you hear it? When they had come together. 
Uh, look at chapter 1, verse 14. All these with one accord were devoting themselves with, to prayer together with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Okay, when you go to chapter 2, you find a, a summary of what they're about, what they're doing. Okay, Chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. And they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Verse 46, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. I mean, I mean these guys are forged together by their common love for Jesus. It's what binds them together. It's what brought them together. In that group, you've got tax collectors, you've got fishermen, you've got people from all walks of life, and they're, they're, they're pressed together in their common love for Jesus Christ as the church. Now, the primary manifestation of this reality of the church is that we love one another well. Okay, so when we think about following Jesus together, if you take the together out, you're not following Jesus. You're not. Some of you may remember our triangle out of 1 John 5. This is kind of a confusing passage. But remember, remember I, wrote, I, drew, I drew a triangle. I put love God up here, love his children. And then on this corner it was uh, obey his commands. Okay, now, now listen to 1, 1 John 5, 2. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey his commandments. Okay, this is how we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commands. Essentially what John is saying there is, how, how, do, we, how do we love people? Well, we love people by loving God. Okay, we, we, by obeying His commands. Have you ever noticed when you obey God's commands to forgive and bear with and give and, and be merciful? And, and when, you, know, you know what you're doing? You end up loving people. How are you going to obey God's commands without loving people? How are you going to do that? How are you going to obey his command to, to forgive and, and bear with and, and speak truth and carry burdens? How are you going to do that without loving people? You can't. What are you going to do that with your, your wiener dog and your kitty cat? You know? Listen, you missed it. You missed it. Okay? You, you got to love people. Okay? So to love God, you love people. There's all these verses in the New Testament that talk about, you know, when, when you give a cup of cold water to, to, to the least of these, my brethren, you, you've done it unto me. In Matthew 25, at the judgment, Jesus goes through and says, hey, you guys are, you guys are in. You, you're, you're righteous. You're with me. You know why? Because you visited the sick. You visited me when I was in prison. And you visited me when I was sick. And, and you gave me drink. And you gave me food. And they're like, whoa, whoa, Jesus, what are you, what are you talking about? And he says, when you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. So how, how do we love people? We, we love God. How do we love God? We love people. How do we obey his commands? By loving God and loving his people. I mean, that triangle, that it all works together. Okay, and so, so for us to follow Jesus, we've got to do it together. You can't be a Lone Ranger Christian. It does not work. You can't say, man, I love God. I just don't have anything to do with people. That, that, that won't work. The primary manifestation of of this reality of the church is that we love one another. And here's the reality. We need each other, okay? So let, let's go into Romans. Remember, we're going to try to prove all these in one passage, all right? So go back into Romans, Romans 1. So what Paul say in the first five verses? He says, man, I'm set apart to the gospel. The gospel is all about Jesus. What do I want to do? I want people to believe him. I want them to have faith and obey him. The obedience of faith, okay? So there's following Jesus. All right, now, how's he going to do that? What, 
Who's he going to do that with? Well, go down to verse 11 in Romans 1. He, he's talking about coming to Rome. He's getting his travel plans. And in verse 11, he says, I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Real quickly, Paul says, I want to see you. I want to be with you. That's what he's saying. I want to be with you. I want to be in the same room. I want to go to your small group. I want to eat a hamburger with you. I want to, I want to take a walk with you. I want to go to McDonald's and study the Bible together. I want to be with you. Okay? We're going to, we're going to get together. Why? I want to bless you spiritually. I want God to work through me and build you up in the faith. Us being together, we're going to be mutually encouraged. Our faith's going to be strengthened by being together. We need each other. That's the way, that's the, way the gospel works. Is this easy? And absolutely not. Right? You just had a pastor come up here during the announcements. What did he say? Hey, guys, please call the church before you have your event so that, you know, two of you don't show up at the same time, you know, and there'd be a conflict. Why would there be a conflict? Why wouldn't everybody just be like, hey, join our event, you know? Most of the time, they all, they all do it at Lincoln Avenue. But we've heard there's problems with other churches, so we want to head that off at the pass. Sin, right? Sin would tear us apart. Sin isolates people, causes us to hurt people. Pastor Dan and I were getting our, our vision in we could at this government meeting. This guy catches me afterward. And he said, I heard what you were talking about, about friendships. And he said, I don't have them. He said, I don't have them because I don't trust anybody. He said, I, the people in my life have always, have always stabbed me in the back. Stranger. I didn't know him from anybody. Not from this town. He comes up and tells me this. I'm like, well, that's real. Sin, sin does that, right? Many of you have the same experience, but listen, if we're going to follow Jesus, we've got to do it together. There's not another track. Follow Jesus together. How are we going to know that we're doing that? How are we going to know that we're doing that together thing? Well, let me give you a couple markers here. Are you intentionally attempting to meet with other believers with the intent of building up their faith? Okay? Do you have that intention? I'm not saying it always works great, but, but is it your intention? Do you try? Man, I'm going to try this week to meet with somebody. With the whole purpose is I want to try to build up their faith. The whole purpose is I want to try to encourage them to follow Jesus. Number two, are you relentlessly forgiving and bearing with and being patient and giving grace during the difficult seasons that come with living life together? All right, so let's read it again so you'll wake up. Ready? Follow Jesus together for the mission of the gospel to the world. All right, last thing, mission of the gospel. You know, it's interesting what Jesus said in Matthew 4, 19, when he first called his disciples, his, his apostles. He said this. He said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Isn't, isn't that interesting? Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you will follow me, I'm, I'm going to change you. I'm, I'm going I'm to make you something that you aren't right now. And what I'm going to make you into is somebody who's on mission. Somebody who brings other men to Jesus. That's what a fisher of men is. 
And so inherent or embedded in this, this following Jesus is the mission of the gospel to the world. Notice Jesus does not say, follow me and I'll make you content to do nothing. He doesn't say, follow me and I'll, I'll make you wait around till heaven. Follow me and I'll give you no specific responsibilities. No, he says, follow me and I'm going to make you into a fisher of men. Here's the reality. If you have seen him, if you believe that he is who he says he is and he'll do what he says he's going to do, you are compelled to want others to see what you've seen. My favorite evangelistic passage is in uh, 2 Kings 7, 9, okay? Let me set the story for you real quick. All right, so the story is Jerusalem's under siege. It's got an army around it. They are starving. They've been that way for months upon months upon months. There is no food left. In fact, there's this description in the story that people are eating dove poo and, 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 and uh, what is the other thing? Uh, mule, uh, yeah, mule heads, okay? I mean, those things are the delicacy. That's the only thing on the menu. All right, they are starving to death. In fact, it gets even more gruesome as the story goes on, and women have actually eaten their own children, all right? It's a despairing, horrific, starving, dying people, okay? And in the midst of this, there's these four lepers, and they get together and are like, guys, we're going to die anyway, so let's just take a chance. Let's go to the enemy. Let's walk out there. They're probably going to kill us right away. But hey, we're going to die here. I'd rather die quick. And so they, they, they start heading out to the enemy. They leave the city. All right? And right as they're doing that, God does a miracle. God comes in and, and, and he terrifies the enemy and he causes them into confusion. And they all run away. And they leave all their stuff there. And so these, these four lepers are, are walking out. Hey, don't shoot. We give up. White flag. And they get out there. There's nobody there. I mean, all the tents are there. All the, 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 the military works are there. There's nobody there. They, they start going tent to tent to tent, just eating and feasting and everything they've ever wanted, gold and silver and riches. And, 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 and they get to this one tent, and they all kind of look at each other, and there's this awkward silence. And one guy says this. 2 Kings 7, 9. We're not doing right. This is a day of good news. If we're silent and wait until morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell. You, you church, you're, you're the folks that are sitting there feasting on the riches of Jesus. You've been given reconciliation with God. And now, it's, it's, it's our call, it's our privilege, it's our joy to go and, and just tell what Christ has done. Point to Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 says this, All this is from God, who through Christ has reconciled us to Himself and gave us. God has given us something here. What's He given us? The ministry of reconciliation. That is... In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. That's what God's doing in Jesus, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. You hear what the Bible is telling you? If you've got the message, now you're entrusted with it. If you've received it, now, now, it's, now it's on you. To let the world know, to point to the reconciliation that is available in Jesus Christ. This makes all those stewardship passages in the Bible make sense. 
All those parables of the talents, you know, where one guy's given this much and one guy's given this much and one guy's given this much and the master leaves. He says, I'm coming back. Make sure you do business. You know, and then the master comes back and one guy, he went out and he, he took care of the master's business. He's rewarded. Another guy, he does. The other guy, he's like, man, I didn't do anything. I buried mine in the ground. Oh, you, you wanted me to do something? Okay, all those parables are about this, this mission of God on us that we are stewards of. We've been entrusted with the gospel that we would proclaim verbally Jesus Christ to the world. But not only that we would proclaim verbally, that we would also meet needs in Jesus' name. We would be the hands and the feet of Jesus. My friends, you are exhibit A of what God will do in the world. Okay, We, we are exhibit A. We are what God does through Jesus Christ. And we've got to live that out. You don't get a choice this morning whether you're going to be an ambassador. You are one. You're either a good one or a bad one. You're either one that points to Jesus or one that confuses people about the gospel. We are to show people God's glory by our living actions and by our voice. All right. Is this in Romans 1? Is this worth doing in Romans 1? Do you see what I'm doing? Or are you like, why does he keep going back to Romans 1? You know, I'm trying to show you that these are in Romans 1 even, okay? So we've already been through this passage. We preached through it, but look, they're here, okay? So Romans 1. You know what's Paul say right away in verse 5? Man, it's my mission to help people follow Jesus, to bring about the obedience of faith. I'm going to do that together with other believers, verse 11. And now notice where he goes. Verse 14, he says, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to foolish. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also in Rome. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. What I'm showing you here is that in in Romans 1, Paul basically says this. Man, I've been set apart to help people follow Jesus. Help them have the obedience of faith. I'm going to do that together with you. I want want you to be with me in this. I'm going to make effort. I'm going to travel across the Mediterranean to get to you so that I can do I can follow Jesus with you. And it's my passion that we take the gospel. I'm under obligation, Paul says. I'm eager to be on the mission of the gospel to the world. Again, how are we going to know if we're doing this, church? Well, let's ask ourselves, man, are we speaking truths about Jesus? You know, just you and your personal life. Are are you saying things about Jesus, saying right things about Jesus and about his word and about his works and about his promises and about his character? Are you saying those things all week long? Okay, I'm not saying, or do you have a spiel, you know? Do you have a sales pitch that you go through? If you do, that's great. But, But I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, are you telling people about who he is and what he's done? That's that's the mission. And then on the other hand, are you showing people his character? Are you showing this is what Jesus is like? This is what he does. I'm being like him. I'm following him. I'm doing what he says. I'm being obedient. And so that's why I'm doing this for you. That's why I'm being this way. Read it with me again. Follow Jesus together for the mission of the gospel to the world. I think this is what it means to be us, guys. This is what we're trying to do right here. We're trying to follow Jesus together for the mission of the gospel to the world. When you understand the game, it helps you make decisions, doesn't it? 
right? When you understand the game and you're the left fielder and you, 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 you get the grounder and you look up and the guy on second is halfway between second and third, that helps you make decisions. You're like, I know what I want to do here. I want to get that guy out. I don't want him to go to home plate. If he goes to home plate, they get a run. If they get a run, that's not good for us. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw the ball to third. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to head him off, either get him out or keep him from advancing. Because I understand what we're trying to do. Because okay, a church, if we understand this, well, this helps us make decisions. What are we going to do at small group? What are we going to do with our mornings? What are we going to do, ladies, when you get together? Guys, when you go golfing together, what are we going to do? Well, this, this helps us because we're making decisions based on this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to follow Jesus together for the mission of the gospel to the world. See, we don't want to be one of those churches that, that misses the big picture. Can, can you imagine a, a baseball team and their left fielders, they, they, they are better than anybody in the country at throwing the ball to the shortstop. They have perfected that. Like they can throw to the ball to the shortstop without looking. You know, they practice blindfolded, you know, and they get the ball and they can hit the shortstop. He's in the same place every time. They can do that better than anybody. But, but they probably don't win very many games, do they? Because they miss the big picture. We don't want to be a church that we get this slice, you know, or we, we get this slice. Man, maybe we, can, maybe we can pack more people into a room than anybody else in Woodward. Hey, guys, that's not success. Or, or maybe we can do this better or that. No, we, we want to make sure that what we're doing is this, following Jesus together for the mission of the gospel to the world. I'm going to pray for us in just a second, but let me, let, me, let me make this final appeal to you. Have you followed Jesus? Maybe you're here today and, you know, you, you look at that phrase and you're like, you know what, I, I, I'm not really following him. I've, I've not seen who he is and I've not really believed upon him and I've not trusted him and I'm not really trying to be like him. I'm not, I'm not listening to him. Today, would you, would you hear this word? He's everything you need. You can trust him. He died for your sins. He rose for your life, your eternal life. Would you trust him today? Maybe you're here today and you're following Jesus, but you're the lone ranger. You know, you took off your mask in the car because you were a little bit embarrassed and nobody else was wearing one. But you're, you're really the lone ranger guy. And the only reason you came here today was maybe to hear a sermon or to sing, but you're not interested in anybody else in this room. Let me tell you this. You can't follow Jesus without doing it together. It doesn't have to be with this family of faith, but it's got to be with some, some family of faith. Maybe you're here today and, and you, you feel like you're following Jesus together, but you don't have a mission. You, you check out when it comes to the mission. Listen, I, I really believe that if, if you've seen who he is, how can you not? How can you not want other people to see it as well? Let's be the church today. Father, I ask you to help us, Lord. Help us, God, to be obedient in in being who you've called us to be. We thank you for the church. We thank you for this beautiful picture of, of people who are bought by you, called together, pressed together for the mission of the gospel. Lord, help us be that people. God, I pray for our decision this afternoon. God, as we think through what, what are we about? What do we want to do? God, I, I pray that you would make that clear to us. God, that we would have your will and that we would make that decision based on what, what we're called to do as, as your your people. 
Father, if there are those here today who don't know you, they've not, they've not responded in faith to you, I pray that you draw them today. You'd show them your character. Show them that you can be trusted. And Father, they'd put their faith in you. Father, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.